Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, Ambassador, 805 Connect, and your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University's School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and continued encouragement. I want to thank our podcasting partner, Pull String Press, for this great studio. Well, today I would like to welcome Dan Engel, uh, local Santa Barbara and serial entrepreneur. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I, I am so glad to get to have this conversation. I've been looking forward to it for a while. And uh, our, our, our friend Michael uh, suggests, God, you got to talk to Dan. It's like, yeah, I have to talk to Dan. And I, I think of the various conversations we've had over the years. And uh, for as much as you have done, I need to know how do you stay looking like you're like 22? <laughs> well, there's not much that I have to do for that, fortunately. But it is uh, slowly and steadily changing here as I approach 40. So I don't think this party's going to go on too much longer. <laughs> well, you were, you got the. Um, you know, I love this uh, 40 under 40, and uh, y- you have gotten so many awards for the work that you've done. I mean, you, you started early, and it's, you know, when I, I look at Engel Ventures' uh, site, and it's pretty spectacular what you've done. It's kudos. Thank you. Well, I do believe in getting an early start, and uh, I guess uh, when some of the other kids were going to class in college, for example, I was putting on a suit and going down to the financial district and learning about other industries. Uh, and so I just kind of kept up being kind of ahead of, on uh, some of those things and tried to stay ahead, and I figured that was a good strategy. And uh, I guess that's part of why uh, I've been able to accomplish certain things at such a younger age that, than others. I just tend to start early, and I think that's a good philosophy. What did your dad do? My dad is a trust and estates lawyer in uh, New York City. And uh, actually, he was helpful to me in that, um, you know, I had a pretty good upbringing in terms of having a good understanding of finance and uh, just financial understanding that some other folks might not have had. He also was able to help with uh, getting me early internships, high school and college in Mm -hmm. the financial industry um, because he had buddies. Um, And uh, so that helped me get going early. So for our listener who is either thinking about having an intern or encouraging their you know their kid to become an intern or themselves thinking about being an intern what's let's let's talk about that for a couple minutes because i think it's critically important Mm. so someone who's thinking about having an intern what are the like three things they should consider i guess you want someone that ideally you can find that is there because they're just so passionate and excited about being in the thick of things yep that you know, it's not about it being a job. They don't care right. so much what they're doing. Um, they're just so excited to be part of that experience, and they're going to jump right in. Because um, that's also someone that has a better chance of being somebody you might want to hire later right. on as well. Right. Um, and that's how I was. So I remember back in the days when, you know, uh, I'd have internships where my job was really lame. Uh, you know, secretary type work. Um, what I would do is I would get that work done and I would spend the rest of the time getting to know the executives in the company, oh. walking around the company, talking to people, interviewing them, trying to find mentors. None of that was on my job description for being right. an intern. Um, but that was my job, as I saw it, was to take advantage of the time and the place and the people that I had access to that otherwise there's no way I could get into the building. 
Tell me about that interview because I've heard story. Jimmy Fallon uh, would would interview comedians uh, in high school. That's and he hmm. would you know it's like who is this kid? Is this, and and they would talk to him. So oh, yeah. what was your opening line uh, to an executive to get him to talk to you? Well, you know I don't think it's that complicated. If you're genuinely interested uh, in what successful or older people or mentor type people are doing. They're interested generally in talking to you. There are a few exceptions, but for the most part, mm. um, they want uh, people to spend time with them, especially young, because they can see themselves in those people mm. um, right. that are really interested and passionate about what they're doing and want to take the time to understand it fully. Um, they don't have that in the rest of their day necessarily. They're dealing with colleagues. They're dealing with spouses. They're dealing with their kids. So they, they appreciate that kind of a unique uh, situation where someone really, really cares deeply about what they're doing and wants to learn all about it. Um, so... And I you were you would be in an op, in a situation where you had three, four, five of those people in a company because they're kind of a captive audience. So you could, well, sure, lots of people. So let's see. In one internship, uh, my job was to do some silly web. Oh, actually, you know what it was? It was to uh, uh, write down the serial number of everybody's computer, um, <laughs> which meant I could. You go had to over, go into every office. Yeah, yeah. And I remember reading the autobiography of Andrew Carnegie. He did something similar. Uh, where uh, he had some low-level job, but it gave him the opportunity to meet all sorts of judges and influential oh, and powerful oh, people. Oh. Um, so I kind of followed that, that same kind of concept. Uh, and uh, uh, I ended up meeting enough people while I was there, meeting enough executives. This was at a company called Sanford Bernstein, which is one of the top investment firms in, uh, based in New York. And uh, I ended up building their first website, and this was '94. Had you any experience building websites? No, no. I have to <laughs> had to call my brother and talk to him on the phone. He'd walk me through it. There was really, no, yeah. He he would teach me different things about HTML and. and this is what twenty five years ago. Something like that. I I can't do the math. Oh Ninety four. Yeah, uh, yeah. So he he was early on with that stuff, and he was technical, more the geek type, and so right. he taught me how to do it and how to apply what he knew to to this business situation. And so I did that, and then at Fidelity Investments. Um, I remember my job was, it literally was to be secretary to the MBA students. I was uh, in college. Oh. Yeah. And my job, you know, do trip planning for them, travel, this and that. And like I said, I'd get that stuff done. And then I'd go meet with all the different fund managers, the ones mm. that were running billions and billions of dollars, eat lunch with them, go to their meetings, just pop in. And what would I say? I'd say, hi, you know, uh, my name's Dan. I'm an intern here. And I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions. And then we'd chat. Uh, the most interesting person I sat down with was Peter Lynch, who's a bit of an industry legend for Fidelity. I don't of know course. if he's still in their commercials. Uh, and he'd spend time with me. And uh, uh, Bob Posen, who was the head of the office at the time. Ned Johnson I spoke to. He's was the CEO at the time. He was on the cover of uh, Time Magazine, if I recall. So this was a really interesting time. But again, these people, if you have that access by being inside the company, you've Right. That's about as warm as you can get, right? Oh, you're, exactly. at, you're part of the company? I'm going to talk to you. Exactly. So, so now as a – so I see there's there's the benefit for the person who has an intern. There's I, I love that kind of almost reverse mentoring as well that you get all that energy. How about the person who's applying to be an internship – an intern? Is there a, a, a way to present themselves that's going to help them e eke out – above the other 50 that are trying to get internships? It's a good question. So for some of these internships, it's not 50, right? It's, you know, 500. In the oh. case of my Fidelity one, it was 5,000. No kidding. You, 
Really? Yeah, and they had a rule. Uh, okay, they didn't have a rule, but somehow every year they had one intern in the de- in the department. It's called FMR, Fidelity Management Research. This was sort of the top of the top. And every year, somebody from Harvard, and Fidelity, of course, is based in Boston. And so this year, I that that I was there, uh, I got it to be the gentleman from Harvard and myself. And the out way, of five thousand. Yeah, yeah. I had heard that later that they had five thousand applicants wow. each year. Yeah. Um, and the way that I did that was. Uh, that um, while I was in college in New Orleans, uh, I went around, let's see, so I didn't really know anybody when I got there. I was you a went freshman. to Tulane, Tulane. Right? Yeah. I was a freshman, and so I looked up in the phone book all the different financial companies in the area. There were maybe 30 of them, and I sent a letter to the people that I could find. This is you know, pre-email and stuff, and uh, I got one response back out of 30, and it was one person saying, you know, I don't need your help as an intern, uh, <laughs> but I know this guy who might. And so I used, I leveraged that relationship to get in with this guy who turned out to be uh, Tommy Brennan, who's the Brennan family's a, a big deal there in New Orleans uh, behind Bacchus and a lot of the famous restaurants. And yeah, Brennan's, he, of course. Yep. And he introduced me to his partner who became my mentor till today. Actually, I just talked to him yesterday. Wow. Um, yeah. And turned out after working for, for Jim, my mentor, all four years in college, uh, his son ran uh, uh, one of the biggest mutual funds at Fidelity and sat next to him as good friends with Abby Johnson, the daughter of the CEO of Fidelity. So that's how that all happened. Um, but it didn't happen because, you know, I just knew somebody because I know people. I knew somebody because I took all those, you know, I right. took all you those steps. you did the steps. work. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, and then uh, in ter- I remember when I was at Sanford Bernstein, the company where I, I did their first website, there was one or two other interns in there. And I remember talking to one guy and I said, how did you get this internship? There was such a pile of, of resumes, right? right? I, I did because my dad had a friend there. I was fortunate in that way. But he didn't. And he said that what he did is he physically showed up and he made sure that his resume got to the top of the pile. And he showed up, I think, three or four times, um, trying not to do it in an annoying way. But he sure. literally would show up. Whereas all those other applicants, they're just sending a piece of paper in the mail. right. right. So again, that was his way of differentiating, and that's how he got the internship. And you know, he probably went on to do some some pretty successful things. Wasn't it Woody Allen who said the world belongs to those that show up? Yeah, there you go. Right. So yeah. it's actually being there, and hey, here's your so proximity uh, helps. Well, so I remember this uh, entrepreneur came to talk to our class in college. We had a one of these entrepreneurship classes uh, back in uh, 97, 98, which is before they were so prevalent at all the universities, including the great one that we have here in town. Um, and he said, uh, luck favors the active. That was his main theme. And basically he's saying, look, it's yeah. Okay. So I got lucky here. I got lucky there. He's saying, but you know, if I wasn't active, if I just sat around and waited for other people to do things for me, I wouldn't have that kind of luck. I wouldn't increase my odds of getting quote unquote lucky. So I thought that was a really good point. It's so interesting that you said that. Um, our last group of four podcasts, we had 24-year-old, 44-year-old, 64-year-old, and 84-year-old entrepreneurs, and we kind of heard their whole stories kind of at the beginning and the end. But luck was a common theme, and, and I wasn't questions I was asking. It was just that that freely came up. So, so luck does play a part of it, but you've got to do the work. Oh, yeah. you got to put yourself in a position to be lucky. For the most part, if you want the odds to be in your favor. Oh. For example, say you start one company and you give it one shot, uh, what are your odds of being successful? Versus 
if you set yourself up for a situation where you start a number of companies, either they're at the same time or you're in a situation where if one fails, you can do another one. All of a sudden, you know, say the third one works, which is the case of my last company, right. where I did actually start three at once because I didn't know which would be the home run. Really? You, you actually did that? Yeah. Uh, so, okay, so let's talk about that for a okay. second. Because I think the problem for me as an entrepreneur, you know, starting when I was 12, is focus. You know, focus is just, it's really, really hard. Yeah. How, how do you rectify focus if you're doing three at once? Uh well, I suppose I was fortunate because the first two more or less ran themselves once I got going. Got it. So the hard part was in the beginning, getting them to a place. So one of them was selling, uh, actually, you'll, you'll appreciate this, uh, Morphia software, if yes, you recall. Sure. So that would became the leading uh, image morphing software for consumers, a little yes. bit related to the uh, amazing stuff that you did years before. At Wavefront, yeah. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that one, you know, basically once we had traffic coming in, once we had a website where people would purchase, you know, you go to sleep and wake up and you got all these orders if, mm. if you have mm. a good business or trap. Mm. And the traffic would come in each new day. It would be new customers compared to who was there the day before. So once we got it to a certain point, there was only so much work. And if I wanted to grow up more, I could put more time into it. Um, if I didn't, if I wanted to focus on something else, I could. But for the most part, I could leave it alone. Second business was doing what we called uh, pay-per-click search arbitrage, which sounds really fancy. And all it is is what we call like a, today a super affiliate where uh, a simple example would be like, um, say we represent Netflix and we work out a deal with them where they pay us $30 per trial sign up or per customer. Then we go bidding on keywords like uh, people searching on Google for rent DVD, rent movie. Mm. Um, mm. And then we try to figure out what's the spread between what we have to pay to run that ad and get, and get charged, say, 10 cents a click or mm, dollar click mm, mm. versus how many clicks does it take to generate that $30 lead? And sometimes the spread would be huge and we could really uh, extract a lot of uh, uh, money from it. And then sometimes it was very scalable. So again, once you, once you could figure out those few keywords where the right. real opportunity, the right. window was, uh, then you could kind of leave it for a while and you know just check in once a week and see, okay, do I need to make any adjustments or not? And you kind of just keep making your money. So that so, was number two. What was number three? Fast Spring. Ah. Fastspring uh, today is a company that does e-commerce back-end services, or you could say does the order page management for about 3,000 different software vendors around the world. So big companies like Adobe on down to just individuals working from their house that need to sell software. They need to take people from their website to an order page. Mm. Everything behind the order page is handled by Fastspring. Uh, which is uh, still locally here in Santa Barbara. And uh, that includes international transactions, dealing with uh, international tax management, cross-selling, upselling, merchandising on the order pages, all sorts of different functionality around selling software on the web, whether it's software as a service or it's desktop software that gets downloaded or downloadable games or downloadable files like PDFs. Now that was 10, 10 years ago you started that. 2005. Yeah. Yeah. And I read you did 17,000% <laughs> growth. Yeah. Jeez. So, you know, uh, that business was really, really easy to grow really fast at really fast rates. Why? Because of the business economics of it that, you know, we understood going into it, which was basically um, you have an existing customer base paying a percentage of every transaction. So in our case, for every $100 that went through the shopping cart that we're hosting for all these software companies, right. say we're getting about 8%. Well, 
that is recurring. So we had, because we did such a phenomenal job with things like customer service in that business, we really stood out relative to the competition. And uh, we had a churn rate of, I think it was something like 1.3% annually. 1.3%. You're kidding. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So if you took our top 100 customers, you know, two years later, you still had 98 of them or whatever the math works out to, but you get the point. And so what happened is, A, we never lost customers. So the revenue from yesterday we get again today. B, we get new customers. And C, the existing customers, they're all individual software companies trying to grow their own revenue. Yep. So between those three things, it made it awfully hard not to grow at amazing clips. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why we got numbers where, you know, 17,000%, I, I don't remember exactly what year to what year, but we had a lot of years, I remember we were about growing about 350%, and ultimately we got ranked um, the fastest growing company in uh, the greater LA area for a four-year period, uh, according to the Deloitte Fast 500 and Fast 50, and we were 41 on the Inc. 500, and then the year after, we were 53. There aren't too many companies that uh, end up being, say, on the top, on the Inc. 500 for three years in a row, Um, and uh, we were fortunate to be able to accomplish that, and we did it through the recession. And by the way, we did it all with $30,000 in total cash. And you did it in Santa Barbara. We did. I wouldn't do it anywhere else. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. It, I mean, the show's called 805 Conversations, and we're really looking at with the 805 Connect project, how do we, you know, what is it regionally that allows companies like that to enjoy that success? What, was there something here in the region that helped contribute that you couldn't have done it somewhere else? Was it the talent? Um, so, in the case of Fast Spring, more so than my current business, uh, we did a lot of uh, remote working. So okay. I had a lot of people that were kind of virtual. Um, so today, FastSpring has 40 people in Santa Barbara, and okay. I think 60 people total. When I sold the company in 2013, we had 12 full-time people. We had 22 people in total, meaning the rest were part-time. Many were contractors. And in Santa Barbara itself, we had, I don't know, something like six people. Whereas my new business uh, is uh, a, good, a good number of them are actually Santa Barbara people. But to answer your question, I think something that's unique about Santa Barbara from a hiring standpoint, especially when you have a startup, and I don't mean like a, a Sonos, I mean like, like a fast sprint, like an right. early stage company, uh, is that you get access to highly talented people that you otherwise wouldn't get access to that are looking for unique situations. How do you explain that? Well, what brings people to Santa Barbara? They're not sort of your standard fit-in-the-box type of people. Right. Um, and oftentimes they're, in their mind, you know, going to a very different situation from some corporate situation they were in San Francisco or L.A. or New York or somewhere like that. They want to get away from that a little bit. And so they're willing to sacrifice certain things, including do work that they might be uh, overqualified for, right. uh, including uh, get paid less because they want to live here. Um, and so in our case, we tried to take advantage of people that, uh, or a situation where people wanted to have flexibility in their careers, spend more time with their families, enjoy a nice right. work-life balance, which is uh, an important part of why people, some people like to be in Santa Barbara, by giving people that freedom and flexibility. And in exchange, we were able to attract people at Fast Spring that uh, 
you know, at lower rates than they normally would charge and uh, or expect. And often that had accomplished very big things relative to the job that they were doing at, at Fastprint. They just they appreciated uh, the advantages of the way that they were treated differently and the way that they were in control of their time and their lives um, ver versus if they had to go into the office every day at a normal corporation and deal with, you know, meeting everyone at the water cooler and the meetings and everything else. Right. So um, uh, that's, that's how we were able to scale that business well and also build a culture of treating our people like gold, respecting them, respecting right. what they do, letting them, once they prove themselves, letting them do their work uh, in their own way, um, giving them independence. Often they can work from wherever they may want to work. Um, they want to, you know, they've dreamed about spending a month in Spain. I don't care. As long as they're getting their work done, let them get their work done in Spain. Um, you had, do you had someone who oh, yeah. actually happened? Oh, yeah. We had a guy that went on his boat for a month and a half. Sounded great to me. As long as he's getting his work done and we can reach him during normal hours when we need to, no problem. Where, uh, where do you think you picked that up? Because that's not a intuitive way to think about running your company and treating people like gold. I mean, where, where did you see that someplace and said, that's how I want it. When I have my company, I'm going to be like that. Well, for, you know, I say first and foremost, fundamentally, I think it's just common sense. To me, what doesn't make sense is the vast number of people, CEOs and otherwise, that, that don't treat people well, um, that are arrogant, um, that think, you know, their customers come last, not first. I don't understand that. Um, but I can tell you in the case of FastSpring, all of our competition was just like that. A lot of arrogant CEOs who oh. didn't care about their people and treated them like that way. And then what happened? That trickled down the way those people in the company treated the customers. Sure. Uh, all of a sudden, reputation for horrible customer service. And we came in with an absolutely different top-down philosophy and culture, and it just blew away the competition. So we would get companies to switch from every competitor to us, nobody ever would switch away from us to any of those other companies. Well, you had 1.8% churn. I mean, those are people who made, maybe went out of business. They didn't leave you willingly. Yeah, I think it was 1.3. 1.3. Okay, I, I want to get that right. going back to my uh, entrepreneurship class and my professor at Tulane, um, he kept reminding the class, maybe every three classes, what makes a business successful? And people would raise their hands and they'd say this or that or this, and the answer was always the same, people. Yeah. And I remember that. Another good lesson he gave was that uh, why do businesses run out of money? And most people, entrepreneurs included, would say all sorts of things. It's this, it's that. The answer was they run out of cash, simply put. So that was another thing, I suppose. Well, how do they run out of money? Because they run out of cash? Oh, sorry, same thing. Yeah. They, what's the number one reason businesses go out of business? Like uh, startups, uh, uh, they uh, run uh. out of cash. Right. So if you can build a business like I did with FastSpring where you uh, remove that huge obstacle to success and that, that path to failure, um, it's really hard not to succeed. And so, like I said earlier, we did it all with 30 grand. Well, I knew that the only way FastSpring could fail is if we lost interest, hmm. meaning we went so long, uh, we spent so much time trying to validate what we thought was going to work in the market, trying to get clients nobody would become our client, that we would uh, ultimately just give up and, and all disband and do something else. I didn't think that was highly likely, which meant our odds of uh, success were awfully high. And it did take a long time, but ultimately it worked, and it worked really well. So that goes back to you had three, two you got going, they're running on autopilot, and then you put all the energy into fast spring, and obviously that just knocked you out of the park. It did, but like I said, it took a while. 
It was yeah. painful. It took, you know, maybe three years, actually, of really trying to get somewhere. Isn't it funny how they, they say, oh, it's an overnight success. Right. Yeah, that I've been working on for 10 years. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> if you look if you look at my track record, so everything I've done since actually I moved to Santa Barbara in 2001 is, has turned to gold. That's what it looks like. Now, the reality is everything I did before I moved to Santa Barbara in 2001 pretty much failed. That was the dot-com era, including my own dot-com. The other part of the reality that you don't see when you look at that is every single one of those companies, whether it's go to my PC, go to meeting, Picasa, uh, with the exception, I suppose, of Google, but I was only there for a little while, uh, Fast Spring, and uh, even Idealab, but I was an entrepreneur in residence there, uh, they all faced failure before success, sometimes for years. And so, yeah, you read about these great headlines, such and such company raises X money, or such and such company uh, sells for Y to this acquirer. But what you don't see is how many years of struggle and failure right. went into that before they got to that place where they really took off. Um, and that was a, a common theme. I mean, GoToMyPC was, was really a failure before it was a success. Uh, and GoToMeeting as well. We couldn't market it for a long time, and then things changed. Um, now, you know, it's a, what, $600 million business. Let's stay on that for just a second because they've been in the news recently um, I don't know, it was 10 years ago, I guess, that Citrix acquired them or something like that. It's been quite a while. 2004, got a, I yeah. think. Yeah. So they've got a, you know, a huge presence here in the region, have done very, very well, and, and now it looks like it will spin out. Do you have, a, do you have a take on that? The spin out? Yeah. Um, I don't pay a heck of a lot of attention to it, um, but I do have friends involved there. Uh, my buddy just sold his company to Citrix, and he's part of, of the business that I think they're keeping. That's in, the right Citrix. signature gas? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's impacted by that. We talk about it a little bit. Um, and I have friends from the old days who are still there at Citrix. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, would, I saw that the stock went down something like 10% after this got announced, and I guess it was these activist investors who were pressuring the company to make this happen. Um, I don't know a lot about it, but it would seem to me like something that would make good business sense to separate them out and get the appropriate value for uh, high-growing SaaS businesses uh, separate from the Citrix mainframe traditional business. Right. Um, now that it grew to be so big and so popular, um, I think that probably makes sense given how the market values those kinds of businesses uh, relative to revenue and profit and that business, Citrix Online, is one of the biggest, most successful SaaS businesses ever in right. the world. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I, I think it'll make sense for the long term. Do you think they'll stay here in town? Yeah, I do. Um, the segment that is here in town, I, which is a big part of it, I think will stay here. I don't think Citrix would be foolish enough to mess with the recipe to such a large extent that uh, they may have very, very different results in the future by getting rid of you know, the core competences that are here and have been part of this product and making it successful for so many years. Um, you know, we'll see. They've gone through lots of different phases of laying right. people off. Right. And, you right. know, but, you know, that's typical. That's part of it, right? That's part of it. Uh, we'll see. The same thing may happen with, uh, you know, Linda and LinkedIn, and ho hopefully not. But... Uh, you know, when big companies come in and they themselves change and, and they evolve, uh, things happen. But uh, I think it's remained relatively stable, uh, relatively speaking, um, <laughs> uh, uh, relative to some other situations that, that where a big company comes in and changes things. So let's let's talk about it. You've been, you know, involved. Uh, you know, you're an investor. You're a board member. You've, you know, you, you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the community. And we 
we find these, I mean, it happened to Wavefront, right? You have some company that comes in and buys you, and some of them keep the culture the same, and they want to keep it here, and some say it's going to be, you know, uh, cheaper for us to manufacture in Texas, or we can find more resources, you know, someplace else. What do you think is, um, did you see that there's a trend towards keeping the businesses here? Because I'm thinking of the startup guys thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this? I'm going to grow this thing, and then I want to get acquired, but I want to stay here. I don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the trend has generally been not to mess too much with your Santa Barbara presence if you're a big company that bought a Santa Barbara company. If you look in, like, Goleta, um, Los Carneros, places like that, I haven't looked for a while, but last I checked, it was kind of littered with uh, big brand companies like you know HP, Microsoft. Those companies didn't start offices here. Right. They all bought really compelling Santa Barbara businesses, and in many cases today they still own them. What Citrix, uh, Cisco is out there. Sure. I mean, you name it. Sure. So I think we have a really wonderful track record of companies coming in, acquiring value that we've created, and then maintaining their Santa Barbara office. They see certain advantages to it and certain talent that they're not going to get access to in other places and, and whatnot. Talk about talent for a little bit. Um, th- tell me about your new company, and then let's let's I want to hear that, and then the talent aspect of that and the talent challenge. Um. So my new company is called Mobile First. The website's mobilefirst.com, and it's 1ST as opposed to F-I-R-S-T. Um, mobile First itself, with an F, is actually kind of an industry term for putting mobile first in terms of a priority, um, which is the way things clearly are, are going. And uh, our main product is called Mobilizer. And what the technology does is, in a nutshell, enables any user to type in any URL and of any web page, local web page or publicly available web page, um, and then see in 35 seconds what that web page looks like across 17 unique mobile phones really? and tablets. Yep. Um, and it, it it's actually rendering those pages on actual physical devices in a lab in Texas. And uh, it's just as though you had 17 devices right in front of you. Really? Uh, except that the results are not one by one. You see it all displayed side by side, um, which is completely different from the experience of you know having a, a few devices in your pocket or a few devices that you test on. Um, yep, so that's, that's what it does. And then it incorporates analytics by device, meaning say you have a Google Analytics account, you want to see how your web page is looking across those 17 devices, where there are issues that need to be addressed, where it's cut off on the side, you can't right. see the logo, you can't uh, things that are impacting user engagement, conversion, things like that. But then we also show you on that specific device, say you're looking at the iPhone 6 Plus and you look at the render of the web page, you can also see what is my conversion rate on that specific device? What is my load time? What is my bounce rate? What percentage of my revenue is on that particular device? And you can then compare it to the other devices and see where there's opportunities to optimize, make improvements visually and otherwise to get those uh, performance data pieces to be up to par with the rest of them and with the rest of your industry in terms of conversion, mm. engagement, load time, and whatever else. A friend of mine just last night was saying he was getting, he got the new, I, there's a new iPad I can't keep track of iPad Pro, maybe that's what it is. Okay. Apparently, it's quite large. It's 
it's got a larger screen resolution, but it's kind of in between large tablets and laptops. And he got it specifically just to do what you said, which is mm. to see the web work he does mm -hmm. and how it scales. And he, cause he can't emulate it any other way yet. He could probably save the money of buying that hardware and use mobilizer. Right. Got it. Exactly. So yeah. is this something that, um, so how does a, someone's got a, a website, is this a free thing that anybody can go do or is it well, the you can SaaS? run a free trial where basically you, for free, can see any web page rendered on, I think it's six devices out of 17, and then you have to pay if you want to see the, re the rest of the devices and if you want to keep running different URLs. Got it. And then how long have you been in business? Well, it began in 2014, and uh, basically it came out of a digital agency called Springbox, which is the top digital agency in Austin, Texas. And uh, they basically just did a, a blog post mentioning Mobilizer, and some other blogs noticed it and picked it up. And before you know it, they had 150,000 users. What? Yeah, because people just kept telling people, hey, check this out. Right. I can, you can see instantly what your page looks like. There's no other way to do this. And it's something you absolutely really? have to do. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Not on real devices. There's lots of emulation options that are simulating, right. but they're error prone. So the wrong error can cost you dearly. Um, or is this on actual devices? So it, there, there are not errors. This is this is just as though you had it in your hands. Um, but anyway, so they got a lot of traction. And uh, what happened is the CEO of that agency has got a thriving business. And he's got this side business of Mobilizer. I happen to be uh, friends with him through YPO, an organization of CEOs right. that I'm right. a member of, and he is as well. And I was looking to something for something to do after Fast Spring, and I said, "Are you looking for a CEO to do this? Because I know you're running your other company; it's doing great. You know, you you need to hire 40 people in the next, you know, three months at your existing company. You're busy." He said, "Yeah, actually, I am looking for somebody." And uh, so I kind of inherited the business, and so I started in April of this year. So it's been what seven or eight months, um, and then I brought in a team of mostly Santa Barbara people. And to go back to your question from before, what's been awesome about Santa Barbara for me? coming back here because I did leave for four years because my wife uh, is a professor and she got a, a job somewhere else for a little while, is uh, that I was able to tap into the people who had learned so much on other people's dime. For example, a lot of people I had worked with years ago at Citrix. Oh, right. They knew how to do so much in the world of SaaS and marketing, mm -hmm. um, market validation uh, for products like GoToMeeting. And so I just sort of tapped into the people that I already knew or friends of friends uh, that had worked with people in town. Because there's so many successful SaaS businesses yeah, there here. Are. And it's been relatively easy to find really, really talented people. And I've been really fortunate. Um, and that's who makes up a lot of uh, my company. I think you're the rare person who can actually say that. Most bemoan the fact that they can't find good people, or they're maybe they're hiring so many. So you you have a different experience. So that's 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 great to hear that. I do. You know, with that said, I'm not looking to hire 150 people tomorrow. Right. Right. That might be different. Um, I'm not trying to get engineers out of Silicon Valley. I'm not competing with Apple and Facebook and the rest of them. But at the same time, if I had to, I think there are some really advantageous ways that I could. You know who the number one corporate partner at UCSB is for in HR? No. Facebook. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Huh. They, they, got, they want first dibs on everybody, especially with the School of Engineering. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very interesting, the corporate partner program out there, who they court and who courts them. Mm. And who's, who's, you know, it's almost like they want to have an office there. 
right? They're hiring so many people. There's this, this huge talent magnet, which is why I'm really looking for how, how do we keep people here in the region? You know, we invest so much in education and part of 805 Connect is how do we connect the public sector, the, the private efforts and the educational efforts to grow our own. And that's why I'm also interested in when you have that successful business, you show you have some traction, you attract outside capital, then you become acquired. Do you get to continue to stay here and grow that business to the next level? And mm -hmm. in some cases, yes, you do. And until as an entrepreneur, you go, hmm, wonder what my next opportunity looks like. Yeah. Well, I'm often surprised, you know, because these companies up in Silicon Valley, they spend so much time complaining about how well, the things they have to do to attract talent relative to Apple and Google, Microsoft, Facebook, whatever, you know, Twitter. Um, if I were doing it, I, I would think strongly about uh, locating myself somewhere else where I don't have that kind of competitive climate. Mm -hmm. um, I was recently hearing about some startup that had to, uh, you know, do a valuation at a billion, even though it might not have been their best interest because they needed to be able to say to engineers in Silicon Valley, hey, you're joining a billion dollar <gasps> startup. Like, that's not the right reasons. Um, and that may end badly. But uh, I don't know. I just like being where others are not. Um, and Santa Barbara is an awesome place to do that and to do that where you still have a really amazing wealth of talent and people that have accomplished amazing things. There's so much technology here. It's, so it's crazy, right? It's crazy. And, you know, a lot of it's hidden. People don't realize it's here. It's nice that The Independent did that piece uh, yep, not Tectopia. too long ago. Yeah, yep. they, they missed some companies, but they had a lot of them. And you got a real impression of how much technology is here, which I think is great. But uh, there's no reason that a person can't stay in the technology industry, even in the software industry, the internet industry, in this town and definitely kind of em employed in any environment like this or the one even that was here 10 years ago. Um, there are just so many companies doing so many exciting things, and that doesn't even mean the one that started yesterday. So. And as it turns out, even though we're sitting here in Santa Barbara, that same could be said for Westlake, which is on fire right now with... Cal Lutheran, the School of Management, the Entrepreneur Center, uh, startup, 805 Startup, which is a huge new movement that's down in the, the Conejo Valley area. Uh, they're just, they're on fire. There's 85,000 businesses just in Ventura County. There's, I mean, they're spending a lot of money encouraging and incubating. Uh, San Luis Obispo is on fire as well with the hothouse. I think probably w one of the, the, uh, accelerator incubator programs that has really figured out how to create that partnership between the school the business the business community the city and have a, a really rich history we had judy on the show a couple of months ago talking about what they're doing and they're so i think Wait, which one is which one hot, the slow hot house oh, okay spectacular Absolutely spectacular uh, when you go up there and, and see what they're doing. And it's not just tech. It, mm -hmm. It's manufacturing. There was a company that makes cardboard office furniture. There's a guy who invented a lift gate uh, for uh, trucks so mm -hmm. one person can get things on trucks and I don't need – I mean, just – they're just solving problems, right? right? Solving problems. Using technology. They, yeah. They're not yeah. software, but they yeah. are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you, you talked earlier about, um, you know, you, you'll have three bets going at a time. So now you're doing mobile first. Are there two others that you want to talk about? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's really the only thing I'm 
pretty much focused on. Uh, well, you've got two young kids at home, so I have two young kids, and I've already I've had a uh, I'm I'm pleased with the degree of success I I've had to date, um, and uh, you know I think last time around, uh, you know when this was 2004 2005. Uh, I felt very strongly that I needed to find a business to be successful um, financially. I had been part of other people's companies where I played major roles and helped make the people who started it uh, very successful and a lot of money. But I, I was often not in that situation mm -hmm. myself. Um, and so I kind of learned over time that, you know, as a lot of people do, the only way to really make a significant amount of money is to do it your darn self. So uh, I knew that I had to go back and, and do that again, as opposed to being part of Google pre and then post IPO, being part of Expert City, where, uh, which is where Go to My PC and Go to Meeting came out of, which became really successful. But uh, initially, it, it had a model that failed for about two years. So actually, it's not like I was one of the founders. I was employee, I think, 180 or something like that. So when that was really successful, even though it was important to making that happen, it's not like I made millions of dollars or right. anything like that. Right. Um, but other people did. Um, and that that's how it goes. Um, that's that's the way our system is set up. And people uh, uh, should should appreciate that and, and realize that, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages to being the risk takers who take chances in the beginning in hopes that their concept will be validated, but often it's not. So now with mobile first, uh, so I, I understand why it exists and, and your role in it and customers love it and the fast growth of it. Uh, in every great success story, there's a there's an obstacle. Though. There's a there's a dragon in this story. What, what's the dragon in this story? Um, you know, I would say even though today 60% of traffic to websites is mobile only um, and people see those statistics more and more, uh, you still, it's still very early when it comes to mobile adoption. And so a lot of companies we talk to, um, they still feel like, oh, yeah, mobile, yeah, that's sort of this mm. pain in my butt thing I got to mm. deal with. Mm. But, you know, they're not looking at the data. They're not, you know, in some cases they're, they're not admitting to it. They're in a little bit of denial. And they just don't necessarily always prioritize their mobile performance um, the way I think they should now, but the way they're probably going to have to pretty soon. Um, they just have other things on their plate. So I think we run into that sometimes where we're a little bit early. But you know what? You have to be kind of early if you want to be a first mover, if you want yep. to be positioned to really accelerate and excel when the market is ready for you. Um, but that's part of the challenge of the struggle and the, the patience that you have to have in the beginning. You have to believe strongly that what you're doing will ultimately be validated. Does that go back to what you said about put yourself in a position to be lucky? Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's exactly that. I'm, yeah. I'm working with a New York client now on uh, a, an initiative, and there's the uh, traditional group inside the company that want to do this as a web page. A web, it's a web thing. And then there's a group that not U.S.-based, same company, that it's, no, no, it's all mobile. And in all the investigation I've done, I'm... 1,000% convinced this is a mobile only, not not have it on mm -hmm. the web at all. Mm -hmm. It's only mobile. And and I, most of the time I'm thinking you have both. You have mobile mm -hmm. and you have a web. And I'm thinking, you know what? This audience, 75% of 12,000 people are under 30 years old. Mm -hmm. They all have a phone. Mm -hmm. And let's just optimize it and have it only be mobile. And, and this is, I could see guys running around with hair on fire when I gave my final recommendations to them. It's like, huh, 
He said, no, 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 really, trust me, this is, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I like that your company's called Mobile First, and what I'm going to do is make sure that they hear about you and so that they can start, because it's a fairly significant digital <laughs> agency, worldwide known, that um, I'm going to see if I can help bring uh, to you as a customer. I which appreciate Which I that. would love to do. I would like to end on something that, um, that you do. And in fact, it's the first thing when you, when you look at the Engel Ventures page is uh, your board roles and the importance of the board of directors. I think that startups kind of don't really understand how important that is. And why don't you give me your take on on the importance to you as a business person, but then the importance you give back to the business? Uh, do you mean being on the board or having a board? Both. Pick pick one to start. Um, I would say, you know, as the entrepreneur, um, the board is really helpful for kind of having a single-minded focus of looking out for, at least theoretically, uh, the shareholders, the investors, which sometimes are themselves and sometimes are not. But that's really their fiduciary responsibility. And so, you know, there's a lot of different groups that you talk to or present to, and they have all different types of agendas. But the board is there to help you get from A to B. And if you're not on that path, to to help get you on that path. So, for example, in the case of Mobile First, they were really valuable in our last board meeting because um, they helped shift our focus from individual users paying, say, well, individual users who want to go on and, and use uh, Mobilizer to uh, adding a, a huge new component for selling to large enterprises. And so, which is something I personally don't have a, a ton of experience with, so I'm mm, bringing on people mm. who do, um, but our board happens to. And so they were able to, A, sort of help shift our gears a little bit and, and move the boat toward a whole new direction and also get me more comfortable with a direction that I don't have a ton of experience with to the point that now we're, we're spending a lot of our wheels, uh, spending a lot of our wheels specifically toward large enterprises, Fortune 2000 companies. Did you inherit the board or did you recruit the board? Oh, I definitely inherited the board. Yeah. and Austin-based? It is Austin-based, yeah. We have some really interesting members on it and involved with the company. Um, Sam Decker, the gentleman who did um, Bizarre Voice and Mass Relevance. Um, we have a gentleman, Dan Silmer, who was uh, who runs uh, the cloud at Autodesk and previously at uh, wow. Adobe. Wow. And, uh, you know, one of our folks is the former chairman of um, Motorola, uh, Tom Meredith, who also was the CFO at, at Dell. So a lot of really interesting... <laughs> Yeah. talented little yeah. heat yeah in, in, in the 90s uh, and yeah but you know they're 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 friendly toward me and you know I think p- the role of being on a board is partly to be friendly until they need to not be uh, meaning uh, <laughs> Can I quote you on that be friendly until you yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the same thing with you know venture capitalists in, in some case not that I like uh, I, I, I go out looking for, to work with venture capitalists I, I don't actually quite the contrary but um, you know, the board is there to support you, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're there to support the interests of those who right. own the company. Right. Um, and so it's your job to listen. You don't always have to take what they say and go with it, but at some point you do, especially if your own ideas aren't, aren't getting you where they expect you to go and where you need to go. It's nice to be able to tap into that pool of resources and continue to have that. And I'm, I'm thrilled that as recently as yesterday, you, you talked to a mentor you've had for over 20 years. Yeah. That's yeah. a great relationship that you have. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in that way. Um, and he was a mentor in terms of values, in terms of, you know, in the financial industry, but values in treating people a certain way. 
um, and having, you know, I think it, it fed into the culture of the companies that I've, I've helped build and run. Um, I highlighted that, the treating people like gold, which uh, I love. Well, we, we've come to the end of this fantastic conversation. I covered uh, almost everything. Uh, my last question, what's, well, I want to say what's next. I think mobile first is, is really w- going to be white hot for you. And you've only been doing that for not even a year yet, so right. you're you're not you're still in the honeymoon period for that. So yeah, um, I I want to encourage everybody. I mean, everybody now who's listening to this has is doing business on the web in one way or another, and they should go to, to give me the URL again. So it's mobile first, uh, mobile one st dot com, and you can also just search for Mobilizer or Get Mobilizer, which is our our product name. So I think things that they want to look at is like simple, simple, silly things like look at your newsletter on mobile, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Because when it doesn't render right and when it looks wrong, the the um, the bad feeling that that person gets from you is like you. There's a level of detail that they're like, oh wow, they don't even care enough about their. Me- how are they going to care about me? Well, yeah, and you wouldn't you wouldn't believe the large companies that are screwing up all over the place with how their pages look on mobile, whether it's you know Taco Bell or Staples. I mean, we go through the Fortune 500, and it's just amazing how embarrassing their pages look. But they have no idea, and you can't blame them. They have no other way to find out other than having all these devices in their hands. And I'm thinking that your business development people. That's all they have to do is run someone's URL through there and just send it to the CTO and said, "Call me." How did you How did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds perfect. So, um, Dan, this has been a great conversation. We come to the end of the show, and our, our listener is used to this part where I uh, ask you to give a name to this episode, knowing that naming something calls it into being and, and is going to make it rise above all the other episode titles. What should we call this? Luck favors the active. I love that. See? That's how it's done, you guys. Um, sometimes we have people that it's deer in the headlights and are, there's this, uh, pregnant pause where everybody's like, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? What's she going to do? Are you going to figure it out? And they always do. And you just nailed that. So, uh, that was fantastic. Thank you very, very much. Uh, best of luck to you. And, uh, we'll see if we can't help throw some business, uh, your way. And I know that the show gets, um, actually this, uh, you have international clients. Yeah, so this there's there's no borders on mobile, right? Right. Oh, exactly. Well, I want to uh, thank you again, Dan. Uh, and they can find more about you at Engel Ventures. Just Google that and EngelVentures.com. If about me, yeah, and Mobile First about the company. That's Perfect. Right. So um, I want to thank again California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. And our podcasting partner, Pullstring Press. I just uh, this place is just born for great conversations and Cielo 24 who provides the searchable captions for our show. The 805 Connect project is supported by partners and sponsors throughout the region. I want to thank them as well. More information if you'd like to become a partner with us and uh, support what we're doing here in the region look at 805connect.com look at our partners page. Remember also you listener uh, set your phone down for a second look at the person within 10 feet of you ask them if they could hand you their phone, open up their podcast app and subscribe them to eight to five conversations and then tell them you're welcome. And they will thank you because they're going to get a a dose of some really interesting conversations. And if you have a particular episode that you liked or something 
about this episode you liked a lot, send me a note, mark at 805connect.com. I'd love to um, have a conversation with you. So until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations. Thank you.